Yo, opening set. What is going on, babies? This is the voice of King Most. Shouts my man, John Reyes, Stank Palmer, producing the goodness for you. As always, follow us on all socials at Opening Set. That's Instagram, SoundCloud, MixCloud. Find us on Spotify, Apple Music, all those great places. You can find me, King Most, on Instagram under uh, Hey King Most. Same with um, SoundCloud, just King Most. My man John Reyes, you can find him at Stank Palmer on IG and under John Reyes, J-O-N-R-E-Y-E-S on SoundCloud. And today's very special guest is my dude for the longest time, Jay Boogie, hip-hop curator at Pandora. One of the first few days that I know of to work with a, a band. And also an amazing producer in Future House, Mobaton, with his side project, DJ Theory, under the title Brothers in Arms. So with this podcast, we've been talking about DJs and we kind of have these conversations circling about, you know, it's okay to kind of do weddings or it's okay to do these little gigs or it's okay to kind of do what you got to do to kind of make ends meet. And it kind of makes you wonder well, what Jay Boogie's about to say is how much making a living greatly shapes and affects the kind of DJ gigs and the DJ career you kind of want for yourself. So check this out. The way that I like to look at it is before I had to DJ for money. I was a professional DJ. I'm still a professional DJ. I still DJ for money. You can pay me. I, <laughs> I DJ I for money. Yeah. But I was doing that full time and that was it. You know, I was, I was making music, but I was DJing full time and that was supporting living in San Francisco for over 25 years. That's hard to do. Now I DJ for fun. I DJ for enjoyment. I DJ for creativity. And I like to like take the gigs that you enjoy as a creative DJ person. We all have those gigs. They usually pay the least and they're usually the like not the best sound system, whatever. But when you DJ those and you have so much fun, you rock the party and everybody's feeling you and you play that one record that you never get to play, getting that experience where you don't want to stop DJing and you have that special experience. I do that now. Also in the conversation, I get reminded or educated a lot of San Francisco rave culture that I had zero clue about. <laughs> That's kind of my fault. And also the unfortunate effects of gentrification, specifically in nightlife in San Francisco. And the problematic relationship we still kind of have with SoundCloud, for better or for worse, was to get some great insight about the digital industry game in terms of streaming because uh, his experience with Pandora. So yeah, in context, Jay Boogie is one of the first DJ friends I ever made. He put me on very early. Shout out to him. And I think, you know, kind of hearing his story, it's possible that you can kind of do it all and get it all. You could both work in the industry and also work as a DJ, as a creative person as well. If you kind of play your cards right, you can definitely get little bits of everything that you want. And just to let you know, you could follow him on Instagram, on all socials at Justin, and for SoundCloud, Brothers in Arms with uh, DJ Theory. All right, guys, let's do this. Boogie opening set, King Most, and our man, John Reyes. Yo, yo, what is up, everybody? Welcome to Opening Set, Season 2, Episode... Nine? No, <laughs> that voice, by the way, is today's very special guest. My dude, my big brother, Jay Boogie. San Francisco, worldwide. I want to say Jay Boogie's the first guest to bring his own refreshments, adjust his mm. own levels on the headphones. <laughs> I make myself comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also the first one to flex your LinkedIn game. Uh, would, I had to check... I had to go through my history books to make sure I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, because this is that type of podcast. A lot of gotcha questions. A lot of gotcha. And I just shout over you. I'm basically Bill O'Reilly of DJs, of DJ work. So, mm. yeah, be prepared to get zinged. Yeah, I'm ready to talk about my first job at a head shop on Hay Street. Oh, well, we will talk about that, <laughs> but be ready to be owned, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, how we know each other, I could give the audience context, is that mm. between you 
Robbie and mm-hmm. Wisdom, your brothers. Yes, yes. All through you guys gave me mm-hmm. very, very early starts. Yeah, like, so thank I distinctly you. remember your nickname that uh, oh, Winston gave you, and we all had really bad nicknames and we hated them. So I won't even say. <laughs> thank you. Show the respect that. to your host. Thank you. <laughs> but no, you were aside from uh, the radio show. You were the first guy to ever ask me to do a remix. Oh wow! Yeah, yes. you remember that? I do remember that. Yeah, and then that was a long time ago. Robbie was a regular. He'd always ask me. Actually, I, I saw him outside a club. And uh, he goes, and I was like, hey, hi, like mad nervous and, oh. you know, high pitched. And I asked him, can I be a guest on the beats on Beat Sauce, which is a college radio sh- uh, show that you did along with him and also Wisdom. Yeah. And then Wisdom was the first dude that gave me a, uh, a gig where it became my first regular Friday night gig. And I was, I was like, this is during, you know, the vinyl era. So, you know, bringing like three mail crates and yeah. it was in the, in the marina. And for our listeners don't know what the marina is, it is the... How do you describe? Ooh, how, how was it? The place on film? We don't need to talk about yeah. that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But how would you describe the marina in a friendly, opinions. quick way to people that don't know um, what that is? Not a place I would want to go hang out. Okay. That, All right. Yeah. So yes, but again, <laughs> thanks to you and your buddies, you guys gave me very yeah. early, early break. So thank you very much, man. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely, man. I can't believe we put you on that much. How you did, must have I know. Been talented. I, I guess so. I guess I knew a thing or two or yeah. about a thing or two. Yeah. So let me ask you this: uh, Was mentorship a, a big part of your start out with music? Uh, yeah, it was, man. Yeah, okay. It was definitely, um, both people pulling me under their wing and really helping me out. And also just me following DJs around forever until they knew who I was. Like I would stalk DJ Apollo everywhere. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. DJ Apollo, the world famous scratch yeah, people and course. triple yeah, threat. Yeah yeah. 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 So you would go to his clubs and be like, were you DJing already or? Uh, I was DJing at the time. Yeah. But, uh-huh. um, at that time he was DJing all over the place parties with pirate djs and uh-huh. they did this party called school at the um what was then the kennel club i guess which, which is, is now F- next now to the independent it was kennel club justice league now independent okay and this is yeah. this is now a legendary it's still like a very legendary and active music uh, venue here in oh, san francisco yeah, yeah for, yeah. for the, again for people outside of san francisco in the western talking. edition yeah, which is now Thank called uh, it's called something else now. <laughs> yeah. I think they're trying to make it something else now. We're getting hyper Frisco yeah. here, but who cares? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah who cares? Okay. And then so mentorship. So you would just kind of follow DJs around, and you're already DJing yourself. And yeah. Just kind of get hoping to hey, can I open up? Can I? Yeah, the first person that put me on actually was um, Andrew Jervis, who From started Ubiquity. Who yeah. now does Bandcamp. Yeah, yeah, he's Fuck. at Bandcamp now, but back then he was at USF with me. We uh-huh. did, we both did radio at KUSF, uh-huh. and he was working at Groove Merchant. And I think this was maybe pre Ubiquity or Love and Hate had just started. Uh-huh. And him and Michael and Jody all did a night at Nikki's Barbecue uh, every Thursday night. Uh-huh. And I had a fake ID. Lucas Van Lenten. <laughs> Shout out to him, wherever you are I, I right now. I think he was a Pisces. <laughs> okay. And uh, yeah, man, I was rolling down there every Thursday and they would play funk and soul and jazz and all that early 90s rare groove, they called it at the time. Okay. Oh, is this one like uh, like acid jazz or something like that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was 91, 92. So, so school me on that shit because that was before my time. But I feel like the music I you know, I, I eventually got into and still enjoy, I guess some, some people kind of It's like that. the roots of sampling and music and hip hop and funk and soul and R&B. Uh-huh. It's kind of granola It was the 90s. All right. So you know? very granola <laughs> granola-ish? I don't know about granola. Uh-huh. Um, it was diverse. Okay. Let's just say that. I would okay. say like the thing about that quote acid jazz era or as my man Romanowski would call it flaccid jazz, which <laughs> is what it became. Um, 
the original acid jazz, like going to see DJs like Jerry V uh, in San Francisco or going to parties like Brass where like they would play Sade and Dom Penn and Gangstar and uh, Jerry the Damager and all in one set and make it work on vinyl, no remixes. Uh-huh. And, and, and and a house record. And, uh, you know, they just, they would flip styles. It was basically the whole vibe was like everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what really influenced me growing up in that era is just being able to listen to house music and reggae and hip hop and R and B and soul and funk and have it all blend together. And all the DJs were doing that at that time. Yeah. You don't now I think about it. That totally makes sense is how your music career has gone because Mm -hmm. you, you dabble into house music, R and B, uh, hip hop, global base however you want to call yeah, it yeah, and yeah. then you know and I, I almost yeah then you work with bands so i guess mm-hmm. i was i was thinking like in prepping these questions I was like oh, okay how did you go from that to the other but that kind of came from a very strong base of all types of music yeah i think so i mean at that time the pirate djs were running things in san francisco mm-hmm. and they did all the dope hip-hop parties and but they also would play house and dance hall records and mm-hmm. they would bring you know it was a very eclectic time for music uh-huh. and i you know it, it was just so special because it brought people of all backgrounds together to vibe uh-huh. maybe that's the granola part you were talking about <laughs> no 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 not at all well i was gonna say were you into like you know house and you know and reggae before seeing djs or hearing mm, djs or it was because of them no i think yeah i think it was mostly because of them wow i was obsessed with radio so i listened to a lot of college radio and jazz radio uh-huh. um and you still rep kpfa you, i always I, see that you're posting this uh, like, oh, check <laughs> me out yeah are you always yeah that's dope. kpfa kusf kpoo was my favorite station is my favorite that, station i'm sorry kpoo time. yeah yeah kpoo uh-huh. for life uh-huh. um and um even you know kfjc the bay area was such a hotbed for college radio talent and okay. still really is um, and all those DJs that were on the radio were playing, were experimenting and playing new music and exposing people to mu- new music. So, okay. Yeah, well then, you know, give us a little rundown of like what college radio was. Cause I mean, I think right now, and as you know, you're in, in the industry that maybe kind of has replaced that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so but it's I, coming back. Microtransmitters are popping off everywhere. Uh, well, okay. Before we get into that then, cause that's, I have yeah. no idea what that is. And yeah. I think I want to learn this. Tell us about uh, college radio, you know, and the, the kind of the, the golden era. The golden era of college radio. Everybody was a college radio DJ. What um, really? This was like a normal thing. Like I, it was. Well, like, maybe like, not like having a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. I had a college radio hip hop show. Yeah, definitely. Well, every city had a college radio station. Sort of, kind of. I mean, Stretch and Bobito were the perfect example of New York holding mm-hmm. it down, and uh, we were kind of doing the San Francisco version at, at KUSF. We mm-hmm. did Beat Sauce, and then you had. People like Kevy Kev in the South Bay. You had Benny B was doing a show over in Oakland. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, DJs on everywhere from KPOO um, in Portland, there's KBOO. So every city had a little small station that was based out of a college. It was funded by the college. Uh-huh. Sometimes you had to be a student. Sometimes you didn't. Sometimes you had to be in the communications program or whatever. Uh-huh. And that's actually what brought me to San Francisco because when I visited here, I wanted to go to state. All my friends were going to state. And uh, my mom took me to USF, and I saw they had the radio station. Oh, wow. And I saw they had KUSF, and they were an award-winning college radio station at that time. 
and Billy Jam was on the radio and did the hip hop show and it was very inspirational and I was like, oh, they got a radio station. Okay, I'm going to school here. And uh-huh. Ended up going to USF and and that kind of started the radio career for me. But college radio was super influential for hip hop, especially in the 90s because this was when hip hop wasn't played on commercial radio like it is now. True, true. Yeah. So like a lot of these labels and artists were basically coming to you now directly. Oh, for sure. We I have pictures with uh, the Jungle Brothers and you know, common and like Wu Tang, Wu Tang Clan coming through. Uh, Jay Z came to visit Gangstar. Uh, Loud Records would bring uh, pressings. Uh, Peanut Butter Wolf, Stones Throw started in San Mateo, yeah, and they were bringing the the records up to the the test pressings to the radio stations with the artists and giving us those records uh-huh. to play and, and, at and that time though this is like very special this was kind of the norm for anybody that was really about getting their music out there for sure you had to do the college radio circuit and that's kind of how yeah. all the indie hip-hop artists and labels really uh blew up and then got signed to the majors yeah and, or even yeah. you know jay-z was a major i think yeah he was yeah. still in wu-tang that's there. when he was like jazzy or something right he was i don't know he had a <laughs> you met him not of, me <laughs> he came out of, uh, out with a record i can't even remember in my it lifetime was. yeah well, no 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 this before is the, oh wow that, okay he had like an accent or something get, get get on the internet i'm not making that up i'm pretty sure it's the same okay same same but not that period but the the cool thing is is that you would have these artists and they did the rounds. Like they mm. actually, I mean, the wake up show was happening then too. That was the specialty show um, where hip hop got played and, mm-hmm. and Cameo actually would play hip hop on, they had their Sunday night show too. It was Sundays or Saturdays. I can't remember, but uh, college radio was just a circuit that everybody would do. Yeah. You know, that's and, so crazy. Cause yeah. it, now like you, you talk about microtransmitters, but I think there's been a big gap where college radio is just kind of like, it got replaced by the million and one other ways people find music now. Yeah, but that's kind of dope. It, but it's so funny that people just it just came and forgotten. Like, oh yeah, college radio, whatever. Yeah. next. But that's yeah. You know. KUSF met a pretty sad demise when the college sold it off. But there, there's a lot of great radio stations out there still doing it. Yeah, KCRW. KCRW. I just like I listen daily. You know. Yeah. Um, KPFA. You mentioned the KPOO here is not associated with a college, and it's like I think one of the only black owned radio stations this side of the Mississippi or something like that. Like mm-hmm. they, and they got their start from early engineers and broadcasting people that were interested in supporting the community. It's really about community radio, mm-hmm. uh, college radio and community radio. So supporting independent programming, free form programming. I'm going into radio geek land, but like that's, no, that's all, pretty, uh, I do this very well. So find a way to connect it back. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> It really was, it was like free form radio and it was free form. And that was how you discovered new music. Like if you're scrolling through SoundCloud now was like turning the dial, turning yeah. the dial. you'd and be, and it's yeah. left of the dial. You just be kind of like scraping down there. And then there's, you know, in the, in the UK they have pirate stations and then suddenly pirate stations would start popping up over here, sort of in New York and maybe San Francisco um, where you have really tight condensed communities yeah well um, i was gonna say like radio djs they're djs too i you know this place isn't just for opening set is i hope it's be for all types of djs not oh just yeah like us that stand behind turntables whatever so that definitely connects so you were talking about nikki's and that's a club i eventually later got started 
Let's do like a monthly with a couple of homies. Shout out Ross Hogg. He always listens. Oh my God. Yeah. Ross Hogg. Yeah. The ruler. The ru- I still have my ruler, bro. <laughs> but I still have it. I was going to ask, so, you know, explain to, you know, maybe a younger generation that's listening uh-huh. or maybe to DJs that this hasn't happened to them yet. How does gen- uh, gentrification, let me say it again. How does gentrification affect a DJ's career or lifestyle in the city? Ooh, man, that's heavy because it was... I, it was most visible in the clubs. I feel like when you, when your audience basically starts to change, your audience demos starts to change and their reactions aren't the same. Mm. Like, you know, when you're a DJ, um, you have your own kind of little secret weapons and the standard hitters that everybody has. And then your own little like mixes that you do and your personal touch that you would bring out. And then you would, and you knew what would make people move and you knew how people reacted to records. And then when the new people stopped reacting to those records and you started to kind of feel a different energy on the dance floor, I think, um, you know, that's probably the least, the least Problem offensive about. thing about gentrification. But, you know, as a DJ, you do, you do pay attention to that and you do feel that change. Um, and the change in nightlife and who's, who's there and what they want and what they're doing at the club and mm-hmm. how they dress and what they drink and mm-hmm. how they hang and how they don't hang. You know, it's just the vibe changed a lot uh, on the dance floor. Mm-hmm. And I think that most DJs at that time were really paying attention to the dance floor and what happened instead of this was before you got lost checking your email on <laughs> Serato, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, man, it's when the cool people started leaving San Francisco, it was harder to be a cool DJ or a, or a DJ that took chances and took risks. Uh-huh. You had less opportunities to take risks. You kind of had to like do the no brainer and mm-hmm. like the, it, the crowd just didn't respond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you talking about uh, San Francisco's first dot com wave or the second one or both? Ah, both man. I mean, yeah. you know, 2001 really emptied San Francisco. Oh, people left. A lot of people left, man. It's it like was the a opposite ghost town. <laughs> yeah. It was, opposite. It was yeah. a ghost town. God, parking. Uh, yeah. 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 I feel like, you know, um, I mean, not completely empty, but it was, it was very different. Uh-huh. It was, there, there was, the money was gone. There was nobody here to like carpet bag or whatever yeah. you want to call it. Gentr- to so gentrify, we're, we're, to do whatever. So you know? were DJs like now scram, like yourself working DJ, but they now scrambling to find gigs or is it just like, I'm I not- think, I think so. And I the mean, vibe you, just kind of changed. In there. I mean, you were able to find work. I think that I, the reason that I was able to keep going also is because I embraced so many different genres and really tried to learn about dance music and, in all different forms and hip hop and other things and, and be a producer and uh-huh. kind of translate, the DJing world to being a producer and starting a band and performing live and mm-hmm. traveling and getting outside of San Francisco. Um, I mean, it wasn't a ghost town in 2001. It's just, it was changed. You know, there mm-hmm. was a lot of money here. It 2000 or 2000, 99 and 2000 felt like 2018 right now. Just uh-huh. people were ridiculous money, ridiculous things uh-huh. and just acting ridiculous. It's kind of like so 2018. Somebody, so somebody has seen this firsthand in the club. What would you tell the DJs? Like um, what's a, to brace, brace impact or yeah. Diversify your portfolio. <laughs> okay. So maybe start a, a DJ band yeah. as well. Start producing. Well, no, I just don't be a one trick pony, man. Uh-huh. You know, you really have to be able to, I mean, I've seen DJs already doing it um, with the, with the new wave of DJs and producers that have been happening more, and more professionals have been doing 
um, corporate gigs and weddings to, to make ends meet. And because the talent pool out there is so full of talented people, you kind of have to get in where you fit in and do mm -hmm. something new. So, um, yeah, don't be a one trick pony. And, you know, a lot of times people probably said, no, I'm not going to do wedding gigs. I'm not going to do corporate stuff. And we and, talked about that on the show. And then you need some zeros. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and if Rich Medina says yeah. on the show, he'll do a wedding. And, and then you've got bills to pay. And Quest Love do yes, it. Yeah, then you I, do yeah, it. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is the whole Vegas thing happened. I don't even remember what year that was, but there were DJs and people that were super talented amazing DJs, artists, even hip hip hop MCs, and they would just go to Vegas and blow up and do something super, super different uh -huh. than you were expecting. But it was just that move because it was hard to stay relevant as a DJ. And if you wanted to make money and grow, you kind of had to go do the re Vegas route and learn open format and the tricks and how to, mm -hmm. you know, smile and shake hands and sign contracts and go through the kitchen and do all that. <laughs> Stuff that happens in Vegas. And yeah. I, I'm no, not, I, I that's Vegas. not my scene at all. But yeah. everybody does Vegas once or gets their little, puts their foot in the door and they either stay in the pool or they get the fuck out. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, when I was going there uh, with Anthony Valdez, uh, I think two or three years ago, it was a very different situation. It wasn't, yeah. um, it was a different type of club altogether. It was an anomaly. Mm -hmm. But even then, I still did not like it. It was, yeah. it was grueling. And also, like, I hope this doesn't come back to bite me in the ass, but just partying in Las Vegas and the majority of people that go there, they're just not that tight. They're not, they're not people you want to be around with, huh. to be honest with you. So, but what's interesting is the, the DJ talent and the people that go it's there the best. Some to the pay. Best. It's so amazing. Yeah. So I, yeah, amazing. I think that's separate like, yeah. from the reality, like the people in front of the turntables mm -hmm. compared to the people behind it. It's, oh, for sure. Yeah, but for yeah, sure. some sure. of the best DJs yeah. uh, are out there still and they're yeah. just quietly doing their thing. Mm -hmm. So you were talking about the whole uh, starting a band and yeah. one of your big kind of things that kind of like push your career up a lot was uh, Dubtronic Science. Mm -hmm. And it gives a quick idea of what that was because I, I was thinking about it. It's not that different from what's going on, like watching like Brass Tracks or Keys and Crates, mm -hmm. this idea of a DJ and beats and live music. So yeah. give us, I mean, give yourself credit for that. You, you well, saw the future, man. I, you know, I get sometimes, a I get a, a little mad because I'm like, wow, they did it. Like they're making it happen on a larger scale level. It's so hard, man. And it's so, it was really difficult to translate, but it, it is kind of a no brainer. Basically the, the concept was to enhance a, your DJ set with live musicians. So I started with the basics like percussion drums brings energy to the DJ set. You can kind of get a congruent vibe where like if you're doing a mix and a conga player is playing over the top of you, you can kind of stretch out a little bit and take a little more of a left turn because your percussionist is going to keep the energy going. And it brings a whole different vibe to the set when you have a Latin, Afro-Latin percussionist playing with you. And then having a flute player jam and be able to recognize the key of the song and just mm -hmm. jump in and improvise and go. Um, and then I started working with horns. And when, when I got in uh, with Adam Thies and uh, my man Rich Armstrong from the Jazz Mafia... It was at South by Southwest one year and they came in and were like, can we sit in? And they were doing horn parts like to the records I was playing. Like I'm playing on vinyl. Mm -hmm. So you, the other thing is then you had to make sure that you were like at plus two. I had all my records marked like A flat plus two or whatever wow. because you because you wanted to be in key with the musicians. Right. Uh -huh. And you this was pre Serato. So you didn't have pitch and time or any of the 
uh, key master key locks. Uh, are you are you a trained physician at all? Mas o menos, but like, um, I do believe that I have perfect pitch. I was told at a young age that I have perfect pitch, so I can hear keys uh-huh. and work things out. But I'm not. I don't practice. I'm not a trained musician. I don't read music theory, but I could tell you what works and what's in key Harmon, and what doesn't. Harmony. Usually, yeah, harmonics. I think. Yeah. So, well, so you're literally. <laughs> so yeah, I'm just laughing. Like, at, I'm just laughing. At you just sitting there with like a tuning fork with. Uh, no, know, no, 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 no. Like, More so like with a musician and and like my sax or horn player yelling at me. Boogie, that's flat. That's flat, man. Go push it. Uh-huh. So I'd be like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's you know adjusting and we're adjusting and I'm like, okay, at plus two, this record works with the flute player because it's in his key and this is it works why and then kind of write that on the sleeve or the notes and or stickies and then just you i would have my box of dubtronic vinyl that um would work with people and then i expanded to working with the sitar player uh-huh. you know sax trumpet and you're vocalist. still doing this all this kind of you know no- notating what key it's in and all that stuff. yeah until serato <laughs> came around and then changed the game <laughs> you're like, yes. yeah you're like Fuck, um, yeah let's do it like but that. yeah that was and the other thing was at that time you know, you're playing vinyl. If you have a drummer on stage, you have to be sure he's not kicking the table or he's on a separate um, riser than you or else the record starts bouncing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's and the sitar would create feedback with the needle if, at a certain frequency. So, the old sitar feedback yeah. <laughs> needle problem. If I had a dollar for every time that happened. Oh, so, man. yeah, there was a lot of learning uh-huh. that was happening at that time. And, you know, it was a different time, so you could get away with a lot more, I think, <laughs> really? than that. Like, you're like, you had a sitar on stage? It's it so, like, lightweight yeah, smoking mirrors yeah, that yeah. time. Like, oh, just yeah. don't worry, just keep jamming. Yeah. They won't know. But so, this sounds like... Chill ma- rooms at the raves are on point. Well, you did... Ra- this. Yeah, is that a raves? I did some raves, yeah. Okay, because... Played we, at some raves. Because we had stuff. Shortcut, and I asked him about the rave thing, because I was too oh, young man. to go in there. And I, so, I have no on idea. Base. And it was such, like, a blip in time. So, yeah. what, so tell me your rave experience, then. I used to DJ raves all the time, man, especially in Oakland. You know, this was old... Not old Oakland, but pre-whatever. Pre-2015 pre Oakland. Everybody, so, so yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, home base and... Oh my gosh, they used to do raves at that freaky hotel off the airport spot. And then don't even know. If listeners yeah. fill us in afterwards. Uh, I'm not, yeah, I'm not man. Sure. And then raves in San Fr- warehouse parties in San Francisco. And were they um, was this, so was it kind of seen as like an outlaw thing at the time or yeah, counterculture? Yeah, thing? it was just like after hours parties, um pop up parties. When I was when I first lived in San Francisco, my roommate was dating one of the promoters that threw one of the biggest raves in the Bay Area called Felix the Felix the Cat, Felix the Dog, or something like that. I think it's Felix the Dog. Yeah, and um, it was huge. And we did we did like a ticket point at our apartment one time. Wait, you're oh throwing a house party? Like an actual? You're selling no, tickets? It was to your like house? yeah, we were selling tickets at the house. It was like you put the number on the voicemail, and then it was the address, and they should come and cash tickets go, and then the you meet me at the spot. And here's the map, like old school rave. Oh my Shit. god, you dude, know what you're mean? blowing my mind. I don't know anything about this. So before ah, like you youngins. <laughs> uh, before another planet entertainment, okay, all this. So shit. this would so this is what would happen. Someone would give you a flyer that would have all the DJs on it, and it would have like a heart or some, you know, corny ass weird graphic or whatever. And then there'd be a number on there and the date. And then on that date you called the number and on the machine it gave you the pickup point, and then you went to the pickup point, and then you got the ticket. When you got the pick a point and the ticket they told you where it was and then you went there and then it would pop off and then if the cops came and broke it up somehow there would always be like a plan b kind of thing where people would bounce to 
Um, and it was always after hours and it was like Oakland, San Francisco warehouses back then. Soma was empty. Um, so there was tons of warehouse parties uh -huh. that would happen down there. And then out even past third, I remember they would do like these crazy parties um, out in Hunter's Point in Bayview um, back in the day. So. Damn, yeah, the, the look that John, our producer, gave me, like, you nerd, you don't know about that. I, don't, I didn't know anything about that. <laughs> the like Ray said, Flyers. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw them, but I just, I don't know, I just And then they got them. really, really, really big, and then they started oh, okay, doing stuff. Before, except, okay, big, big, okay. This yeah, is and then they started small. getting really big, and then they would. there was always, every weekend at home base in Oakland off Hegemer, there was a huge party, and then they just got so big, and so big, And, and this is when so you started big. seeing those news, like, those news broadcasts. Are your kids going to raves? Are they I think this was even before that. This was before the the super duper designer drugs but it eventually became that like okay. once they started doing the um what is it the uh, the big one yeah the big EDC? one that they kept edc and yeah. all that stuff yeah okay. this is what before that and yeah pasquale was throwing raves in la and all over the place this was happening all over the u.s and europe and so, i was yeah. sitting at home watching you were uh, you're much younger apparently yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh okay that's cool yeah well also from this uh speaking of the deptronic science you also um did i was signed to own records yeah and that was at the height of indie labels and also kind of feel like the pre-edm era a little bit because uh -huh. yeah. cascade Yes. Yeah. Amongst other Bro, Cascade was a graphic designer at Ohm Records who just happened to make really good deep house music. He yeah. was, and he was dope. Uh huh. Yeah. So what what were you seeing? Like, uh, I guess as a house DJ and, and being a, a star artist on any label that was like uh -huh. popping, like what, what was that like? What was that time for you in terms of, I don't know, let's say just the everyday activity in, in the mm. culture? Well, the, Ohm was really cool because they they flipped it and as a electronic music label at that time, which was Lambray, they did they did deep concentration and deep concentration, deeper concentration, which was focused on oh, dude, that experimental hip hop DJ music. Now you're talking King Most Catnip, right? This, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This so right yeah. this was like um, this was like the Heads era. I don't know if you remember the Moax thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. It, this uh, maybe predates that even, but. Um, CK Smart and Jasbo and all these early guys that worked at Ohm were getting like Cut Chemist and Nobody and uh, who's that other producer that was working with AC Alone? Oh, Mumbles. Yeah, Mumbles yeah. to do all this super trippy beats with scratching and stuff. And it was like, it was at that time, it was like, turntablism is music. And they were really <laughs> like, they were, they were very, like, it was very like, we're not just scratching, we're making music, right? And yeah, so it was, a, that, it was oh like a presenting DJs as turntablists who are musicians creating music. And I didn't, I didn't mean to clown that, but it was, it was, the, yeah, it was a marketing, it was, yeah, it it was, was the marketing, very yeah. big marketing thing. Yeah. But it worked, it was dope. People were really into it. And it spawned a culture of, um, DJ DJs working with other musicians and like that's the whole Dubtronic science thing that I was doing uh, like Bill Laswell starts working with uh, Grandmaster DST and some other DJs to produce all this crazy stuff and then oh. you know the scratch pickles are you know it's the scratch doing, pickles yeah, yeah and, <laughs> and they're doing Dr. Octagon and, and doing, bats, you know and all, all, yeah. all that and the, the whole era was definitely focused on the DJ as a experimental um, instrumentalist. Yeah, and now it's I feel it's it's gone to a lot of things, but one of them is the DJ as like an actual main star and uh -huh. like a viable like brand and an economy. Yeah, yeah, like yeah the, you're a party star. Yeah, yeah. The art of like, look at Cascade. Yeah, the yeah. art of moving butts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's one way of saying. But it. he's all, he was such an amazing producer. 
he had a, a really good ear as as a producer on Ohm. Mm-hmm. And there was people like, you know, Mark Farina, um, Derek Carter. Um, the list really goes, Marcus Wyatt, all these DJ producers, and they were doing mix CDs at the time. This is when mix CDs, you would go to Tower Records and you would buy a DJ's mix CD. Yeah, and it was that like they licensed, licensed the tracks. That was, that was like the, tracks, the ultimate flex. And yeah. then if it was a real special one, you had a CD that was mixed and then one was the unmixed versions. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, Damn, I totally forgot about that. Fuck. <laughs> Dude, this DJ yeah. shit is so yeah. weird sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> It's been um, odd, but Ohm Records, with that era, and just going to Winter Music Conference, and and that launched my career as a DJ producer to go on tour, to go um, DJ in Miami. Uh-huh. I'd never been to Miami before. I didn't, you know. Yeah, all of a sudden, yeah yeah, 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 and and also being able to go on tour with the deep deeper con thing because I was producing music on Deep Concentration too. And I was experimenting with drum and bass and bringing in Apollo, who I was telling you I was, yeah. you know, following around. I eventually started collaborating with him. And my whole concept was I was going to fuse hip hop and drum and bass at the time because it was uh, that was happening a lot. And, and drum and bass, almost like trap and footwork is now where it was like the 70 versus 140. Uh-huh. Drum and bass was like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's, and it was split for for hip hop. So and there was so so much hip hop sampling and drum and bass. So I was like, why don't all spin a hip hop drum and bass fusion set and you come scratch on top of it and we'll do the two by four DJ thing. And I would go to that now. Yeah. We took it on tour and it was, it was amazing. And then they started doing like drum and bass hip hop DJ battles and all this crazy <laughs> wow. things were happening then. So, so that era definitely opened up the the possibilities. And I still remember going on to, that first tour with Apollo and J rock was on the tour and like mass, not a mass appeal, mass influence was the name of the group. The hip hop group. From yeah, yeah. 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 It's cause they were on one of the compilations too. Yeah, Ming and a fast. Dude, my backpack is so yeah. right now. <laughs> Yo, I believe it's yeah. mass influence yeah. from Atlanta, Georgia. Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was just, it gave opportunity to go, learn from these guys and work with these guys. And all of a sudden, like I'm DJing next to people that I was looking up to. So, yeah, I think that's always like a very cool thing. Just like, you know, like we get to sit down and talk. I'm sure it's a very similar thing. So you're, you know, we now talk about you on the house and hip hop and labels, label stuff. But, um, I think one of the cool things I like of you, I mean, one of the many cool things I dig about you is the brothers in arms stuff. Uh Um, and that came out, um, well, first of all, that's what you and DJ Theory. Yep. Shout out DJ Theory. D-E-E-J-A-Y. Don't get it twisted. Yeah. And that guy like runs in so many lanes. And, like, oh my God. Even before yeah. the Brother in Arms thing, he yeah. was doing dance hall, hip hop, yep. like real, he's yeah. he's nasty. He's that dude. Yeah. Um, explain that. Yeah. Explain that sound to me because I mean, it's a very, I feel it's DJ centric. It, uh-huh. It's club, it's club, club friendly. Yep. Um, but it's, it's, I don't know, it's a lot of other things. So I like playing it, but explain it to us. It's, your take well, Jake and I met, DJ Theory and I met, um, I don't even remember what year it was, but we want, we were both had, you guys are both probably high. We (laughs) highly likely, (laughs) um, we both had an affinity for Mumbaton and more importantly, Mumba Soul, which was like the more softer, sexier R&B side. On the floor. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Um, John Quest was killing it. Like all all these producer DJ dudes were coming out with like this amazing music, and most of them were on the East Coast. and 
and him and I were both feeling it and we were like, let's, let's do this thing. And he was playing me some of his beats and I was playing some of his beats and we just started collaborating, collaborating and working on stuff together. And we ended up on one of the Mumba soul compilations, I think number three, um, with like this most deaf sample Mumba thing. Uh-huh. Um, and then that whole, like that sound kind of came and went, but our whole vibe was like sexy for the ladies. It's not hip hop, but it's not house. It's kind of in between new disco was popping off at that time. So it was like the mid tempo one Oh five. Yeah. Boogie vibe. One Oh five. Yeah. It was one Oh five. BPM. Till you die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One Oh five till you die. We really didn't like, Oh, it's one Oh nine. I don't know. It's no, one nine's good. No, one nine's good. Yeah. One nine's good. Yeah. Now we bumped up. We did some, <laughs> faster things also but Uh the whole vibe was just like you know sexy but hitting you know the bass and and just trying to do different things as producers and the cool thing i think about it was was theory had this whole uh lane that he was doing and people he knew and fans of his and i had this whole separate lane of people i knew and things and we kind of just like pushed them together Mm-hmm. Um, and this was when SoundCloud was super popping and we'll off. We'll talk about that yeah. in a second. We've had many <laughs> yeah, talks. Yeah. Yes, continue with Brothers. Um, yes. And so it was just an opportunity. We just, we just like make beats and throw them up on SoundCloud. And um, and um, we have a, a very extensive collection of remixes that are still available up there and on our website. And man, I it's funny. I look back at it and I'm like, we just kind of murdered it for a few years and we're just putting out as many remixes as we could, Uh but it wasn't just like a throw a beat on top of a remix. We really, we created new content, but it was, we couldn't license it. Mm -hmm. And hence the SoundCloud catastrophe later on. Yes. Yes. um, Well, that's, that's actually, that was a question we always talked about. We've had powwows about what to do next. So, all right. Explain, I guess, you know, your take on the, the good part of SoundCloud uh-huh. and then the eventual bad part that I feel dominates the narrative a bit yeah. now. Because it was, I'll tell you. It was for, amazing. For dude. me, it was, it was the shit, dude. Yeah, for me, it was, it was so a amazing. brand new era. So much. Um, I think it was a combination of a new platform that was elegant mm-hmm. and it was brilliantly designed. Yeah. And also another, a lot of new creators, like you have Selection, Katrinata, mm-hmm. Full Side, just to name three yeah. off the top, like big names that came out of that. For sure. So Not to mention rappers right now, like now, my whole job. But yeah. Before, yeah, but before yeah. that, it was, before that, it was yeah, a yeah, DJ-centric yeah, 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 yeah. platform. For sure. So even just to regular yeah. the mixes now. So was it, this, do you have that same kind of thing when it was really good? Were you doing, yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you a funny story, man. I was at Winter Music Conference and I got in a cab with Sam. Oh, it was one of the Sorato guys, Sam Grimman, I think. And uh, I can't remember his name now, but it was one. Of, it wasn't the founder, but what it was one of the like number twos or number threes. It was mm-hmm. when SoundCloud was three people, and they were at Winter Music Conference making pitches to people and labels of like here, store your music in the cloud. And people were like, what the fuck? For what? Uh-huh. You know? We have, um, we have Z share. We have yeah. Hulk share. Those <laughs> no, totally those work. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's why, that's why wow. from the second yeah. when I saw that, I'm like, I don't got to deal with like pop-up ads. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, continue. So, But I was, I was one of their first um, users and, and got on to that early. And I think that for that reason, learned how to manipulate it and make it, um, a good home base for marketing and sharing music mm-hmm. and sharing my DJ sets and getting like my whole, my whole MO, my whole like guiding light is share music. 
Mm-hmm. I just want to share quality music with people. So you give me a platform that can reach worldwide that I can share music and seeing the numbers stack up. It wasn't for the fame. It wasn't for the numbers. It was like, look at all these people that I've been able to share a DJ set with mm-hmm. um, beyond a club, you know, beyond club capacity. You start seeing multiple thousands of listens and listeners and people you know, following you and checking out your DJ sets from across the world and commenting on it. And really, I mean, it sounds corny now to talk about, but at that time it was revolutionary. Yeah. There was nothing like, there that. was nothing like, yeah. That. Like just in design, yeah. like I said, and yeah. like not having to have terrible, like pop-up ads yeah. and things wouldn't get taken. Well, for sure. Lots so of time, things wouldn't get sharing taken. DJ sets <laughs> yeah. and also, um, sharing remixes and edits and, yeah. and all, all of that, um, magic that happened online at that time yeah i still miss it i still go shopping and digging around to see what i can pull off but it did the magic that happened those years the people the producers and the creative people um have moved on and are now producing original music uh-huh. and and now they're on to Bandcamp or spotify or, or pandora or apple or you know whatever it is which is kind of cool because it kicks some dj producers in the butt uh-huh. to be like okay well now you got to really do it for real now yeah, that's you can't, a, that, yeah. You can't just sample somebody and put a beat behind it. You know, mm-hmm. how many Aaliyah remixes how, how can you hear? You, how dare you? How dare you? Show the respect. <laughs> was, I'm the host. You're the guest. You was, son of a bitch. That was by no way. King Mo SoundCloud, uh, by the way. King Mo's on the run SoundCloud. I could have been right? talking about uh, yeah, millions of people. <laughs> eight million DJ producers, including mice. I think we did an Aaliyah thing. Yeah, you did. Know, yeah, I think so, you did. You, you did a side so, day one. But, you know, it's like, yeah, at, the, at that point when, when it the remixes were kind of just getting cliche and then you know the hammer came down yeah well and you lost your account or the theory got oh for account. sure both of us did i, I both of us I started did a backup account that's yeah. how savage i was i was like you're not gonna take my account not, not before i do anything man and i lost i had like upward i feel like over 35k were following me it was my most important way to communicate with fans and people at that time uh-huh. beyond any social media or whatever and it was music based it wasn't pictures or memes or no, just snide memes. comments yeah, I, I and, yeah. and, and i mean there was in the it was cute people got cute with it yeah. but <laughs> but it was still about the music yeah it wasn't about all i don't want to say all this bullshit because it's it's a fun and interesting time now in social media but it was the music was the focus mm-hmm. and there's no like what's where is the music focused now I for Bandcamp? yeah but Yes, but I feel like I agree it with have, you. Doesn't it doesn't have, have nearly the reach yeah. and and the people, and it doesn't. You know, Bandcamp or is for the guys that went to the record store every week. That's you and me and everybody else. But uh. like the cool thing about SoundCloud was anybody could dip and dive and post and check out stuff, and it was very democratically open. Uh-huh. Um, and Bandcamp is that way also, but it just doesn't have the exposure. I think it's like numbers. the social, the social media sharing cap- kind of capacity. Maybe I'm not sure what it is. Maybe people don't care anymore. I don't know what the difference is. No, I know? feel like I, I think post SoundCloud plus kind of these problems that you and I are both having. Mm-hmm. I've now jumped on Bandcamp. It's been yeah. great for me, Same. And, and a lot of other people have as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that is now the new haven for music, and also if you're selling physical merch, was which has had this kind of weird resurgence in. Oh yeah, somebody told me J Rock was talking about. There's somebody that's like pressing vinyl, like doing one-off pressings 
uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I got the details mixed up, but yeah, it was like it was like yeah, basically just send us some money, we'll press you this record. Like they're doing it one at a time. Yeah. Oh no, it's like it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, like you can buy someone's entire discography and mm-hmm. bundle things. I mean, yeah. I think what you want on vinyl? I got yeah, you. Like, I, here, <laughs> yeah. I'll sneeze on record for you. Whatever. We'll yeah. just press it up and just put paper yeah. shipping and handling. Yeah. So as a creator, you mentioned it earlier that mm-hmm. that kind of with you know say SoundCloud being the best platform to share music mm-hmm. and uh, them just kind of kind of closing the gates. Yeah. What did that do to your creative outlet music-wise? Oh, it killed me, dude. I stopped making music. I stopped. I didn't have an outlet. I really stopped making remixes for a minute. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, and the other thing was, is at that time, um, I had been working at Pandora for a while and I was paying attention to music cycles and kind of what's hot and what's not and, Mm -hmm. and seeing that like you could be the biggest most viral amazing thing today and in two weeks it's poof mm-hmm. you're gone the, mm-hmm. the next person has the next hot thing and music became disposable and mm-hmm. i think actually it's it was the combination of kind of realizing that that music was becoming disposable to some people and having that account shut down was just like the one two mm-hmm. and i was like ah Oh, yeah. I'm bleeding. Help me. Help <laughs> me. You got me. Yeah. I'll do it for a um, repost. Yeah. But uh, I mean, it. it's slowly, like you said, the community's building around Bandcamp and SoundCloud is still there and it's still dope and it's still starting. I still discover music through there. It's just a different thing now. But, it's a different rate and a different yeah. sound and, and whatnot. And but think- for me, it just like, unless you're creating original music now, I think the and I, but it's funny I say that, but I still do remixes and throw them out. And do it yeah, exactly. Like, edit pack I'm drops. Still like edit pack drops. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But sign up, like, sign up for the blast. At some point, it's just like it just feels disposable to me, and it it, it loses the magic and the specialness. Mm-hmm. Although I do feel specialness in people's edits, and sometimes in edit pack, and sometimes those things happen. But just the the turnover and the attention span right now means that, let's say you and I go into the studio and we spend 10 G's and we work with professional musicians and the dopest MCs and we pay for mastering and we pay for all this and we get a publicist and we put it out there and we get the music and we're launching on this day and we do all this marketing. We did it all right. We're on front page complex. Boom, boom, boom. Front page complex tomorrow. Boom. Gone. Yeah. You know, next week, what was that? Uh, You know, and unless it's buried in my saved favorites on. Yeah, man, it's, it's just, there's so much turnover and it's, it's exciting to me because my whole thing and my job is to listen to music all the time. And I love listening to new music and discovering content. Um, but it also means that it's frivolous. I don't know. It's yeah. just kind of like, it, yeah, it, it's, it's flim flam. What is, what is that? Okay. Movie? It's, it's like, it's, it's fugazi. It's fugazi. <laughs> okay. I don't know. It's just kind of, it's, it's here, there, it's gone. Yeah. You know? So uh, tell us, well, for the, uh, I know uh-huh. what you do for a job, for the people out there, our listeners, explain, yeah, give us a, give us a rundown, my friend. Let uh, us know what we, what you do. What I do professionally, yes, well, professionally, not professionally yeah. now, <laughs> yeah. um, is I'm the head of hip hop programming for Pandora, uh-huh. which means I'm responsible for um, the genre stations and playlists and a myriad of other things at Pandora for hip hop and R&B. I work with a coworker on R&B. And, um, yeah, I've been doing that for four years and it's been an amazing time and, and growth to see a company that's been over 10 years doing, you know, they were the streaming radio giant. They were just like 
the one forever. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, um, the streaming revolution happened and there was more giants came in the room <laughs> and I know they didn't see him coming. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, now that we do have an, uh, an on-demand um, thing that we can offer people, it's kind of getting back into the game. But what's exciting for me is everything that I've learned up as a producer, as a DJ, as a promoter, as a music consumer, as, as a person that's worked at record labels and record stores and radio shows. nightclubs and radio shows and radio shacks and, you know, um, all of that experience, I feel like kind of brought me to this point in my career where I was talking about sharing music earlier. The numbers that I, that I have influence over now are so much bigger than any DJ gig or remix or... Is that how you're seeing this? You see your, your job as a big DJ gig in a way? Not, no, I don't, I wouldn't compare it that way because create creatively it's the two very very uh-huh. very different things but what i'm saying is like some of the stations or things that i'm responsible the exposure uh-huh. to the number of people is like being a music director for a mid-market radio station or uh-huh. several of them uh-huh. so um it's it's a lot of responsibility and being being a music professional is something that i've always wanted to do and it's kind of the next step and the next level for me you know going through the producer DJ um, radio route, like I feel like um, the next level is doing streaming radio and streaming music and being a curator or on a bigger level. Yeah. So, well, well, I was going to say, because uh, on this show we've asked guests in the past, you know, what are you going to, what's your next step? And sometimes yeah. they'll say something, Oh, you know, I'm just going to make beats now. <laughs> <laughs> I miss, I wish, yeah, I wish, I, wish I can't I wait for that day. Uh, I miss pe- the studio yeah. a lot. So. Well, also cause you're a father too mm-hmm. and you're a married man, mm-hmm. but also other people have said, you know, uh, in a more bleaker response, like I really don't know. There's no old timers for DJs, mm. so and that's a real thing. So now that you've kind of, yeah. you're, you've you're now in the current. This is the thing after DJing. Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself trying to uh, kind of warm your way back into DJing a little bit? Or oh, is that for balance? sure. Yeah. Or is it is it impossible? It. Tell me, is it's it? It's not uh, impossible. No. Okay. For our no. you know for our DJ friends that are listening that now have day jobs or want to do that, mm-hmm. give us give us some good news. The way that I like to look at it is. Before I had to DJ for money, mm-hmm. I was a professional DJ. I'm still a professional DJ. I still DJ for money. You can pay me. I, will, <laughs> I, I DJ will. for money. Yeah. But uh, I was doing that full time, and that was it. Uh-huh. You know, I was I was making music, but I was DJing full time, and that was supporting uh, living in San Francisco for over 25 years. That's hard to do mm-hmm. as a DJ. You had some amazing gigs too. I mean, you weren't just like DJing for like 50 bucks at a bar. Well, yeah. You're bringing some bells, <laughs> my man. But but, yes. but now I DJ for fun. I DJ for enjoyment. I DJ for creativity. And I like to like, instead of, I take the, I don't want to say I take the good gigs, but take the gigs that you enjoy as a creative DJ person. We all have those gigs. They usually pay the least. <laughs> and they're usually the, like, not the best sound system, whatever. But when you DJ those and you have so much fun and you rock the party and everybody's feeling you and you play that one record that you never get to play and you get to like expose people to music. Or I remember I, I did this bar bar called the saint in new Orleans. Mm -hmm. And I think I started DJing around like eh, midnight, 11, 12. And 
I finished DJing at six or seven in the morning. What? And I I don't do that. I'm not that dude. I'm not yeah. a New York like eight hour you stretch know, out. Yeah. yeah. In the Bay, your longest set is an hour. Like, whoa, I got an hour. Wow. You mm-hmm. know, um, that that that's a whole nother separate like New York DJ length of set kind of vibe. But um, yeah, DJing and it, like just like getting that experience where you don't want to stop DJing and you have that uh, special experience. I do that now. Wow. So you're saying getting a day job actually saved your love for DJing a little bit when you can get booked. Cause I don't, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, you're playing less, uh-huh. but it's more quality. You don't have to take the crappy Tuesday night gig or you don't have to take the, yeah, you don't have to take the crappy, like, Oh man, I don't want to do this corporate gig, but I got, I need the money. Uh-huh. So, um, that time when you were just like, uh, this sucks. You're just standing there in your zoot suit, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> you wearing a zoot suit, dude. What are you doing? Not a zoot suit, but you know what I mean. Like, you wear, okay, right. maybe you, it says more no, about you than me. Yeah. You don't wear, DJ in zoot suits? No, I, I just I do not. But I, I guess maybe that's a question we need yeah, to ask for the yeah. part two follow up. A really long chain. A really long yeah. chain in a zoot suit. You are from Portland, and you are the granola guy. I'm, I'm not from Portland. You're I not. Li- I lived in Portland, but okay. I'm not from Portland. You're from here. I was born in Stanford University Hospital, man. Okay, that's yeah. pretty good. That's yeah. that's not even that's yeah. even closer than Bay. Mr. Matteo. Yeah, uh, I was born yeah. in San Francisco. Oh, a little respect, a little, a little, a little respect for San Mateo and San as, Francisco and Daly City. Goddammit, yeah. put some respect um, on all their names. No, yeah, I grew up as a as a young zoot suit, <laughs> young zoot suit rocker <laughs> in uh, in Cupertino and and. Um, and down there, and then moved to Portland and oh, grew okay. up there, and, and went to high you, school there, and and then you came here, skirted straight back. You're like, okay, I gotta get yep. back here. Two days after I graduated high school, I was 17 years old. Drove my, uh, what year was it? 82 Volkswagen Jetta uh-huh. down to back to San Francisco, and and you made it, and I made and it, now and now you stayed, and you went from college radio to now. I, I mean, what do you even describe Pandora? Because because I think I I see them as. You're, you know, Pandora and mm. also Apple and Spotify yeah. and SoundCloud as the now gatekeepers. Because mm-hmm. I feel mm. our previous guest was saying, uh, DJ Toy, she mentioned mm-hmm. that blogs just don't have the same pool and oh, power. Oh, nowhere close. And they're all owned by like one company. Yeah, so, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how something that becomes so open-ended mm-hmm. kind of bottlenecks and gets owned by the same people. Yeah. That's kind of how I felt about SoundCloud and, mm. you know, it became this open format thing, open, yeah, and then yeah. everyone in this call kind of got bought by somebody. So, do you guys? So, do you feel at Pandora mm-hmm. and what you do? Do you kind of feel like you're now a hip hop gatekeeper? Uh, yes and no. I mean, in certain instances, I am, mm-hmm. but also the interesting thing about Pandora is whatever you're into, it's there. Mm-hmm. Like uh, streaming radio, they've been doing it for a long time. So, if you're into whatever, it's it's there. I do curate some uh larger some some of the larger stations and playlists so in that sense it's kind of a gatekeeper but it's not like i'm standing there with my arms <laughs> no. crossed being like you're not hard enough like it's it's really just about paying attention to what's hot and what what the kids like so it's kind of it's a, l- a little bit of what the beat sauce takes both were like the, the wu-tang the smith and wesson by mm-hmm. they're coming to you it's now them oh they, it's way it, way way different yeah it's more sophisticated there's, there's gatekeepers before me there's there's a yeah there's there's people that professionally deal with the labels at at all the services they have um partners 
mm-hmm. you know, at Spotify and Apple and Pandora and Google and YouTube, they all have a team that interfaces with the, um, the labels. majors, the labels. Yeah. And they're not the programmers. And there's, there's kind of a go between there. They're, they're the gate, the real gatekeepers, to be honest, but they're the ones that that's a whole, whole new thing, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. what do you mean? I like explain then when you say they're the gatekeepers, they're the ones even let an artist get into the playlist. No, 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 not, not, not necessarily. They just interface with the labels. Cause if the labels had access to me oh, or yeah. other programmers, uh-huh. I would show up with a much nicer car. <laughs> and they don't want that. Yo, you have a nice yeah. car already though, yeah. man. So. <laughs> yeah. But a much nicer a car. Much, too much nicer. Yeah. Bro, Radio Payola, come on. Like okay. that's, yeah. That's not, so is now, okay, with, with Lennon, with you guys, that is now done? Radio Payola, we'll never mm-hmm. see that ever come back, you think? Uh, no, I would not say that. I okay. mean, there's a lot of rumors and people talk about how things are at, other companies and industry this and that i can't really like there's nothing i believe until i see it but you know uh-huh. everybody has their ideas of how the sausage is made like yeah. we were talking about earlier yeah. nobody wants to know has how the sausage ma- yeah. yeah everyone yeah. Never has their price too yeah but i i feel like you know the average consumer probably has this like oh they're the gatekeepers and it's kind of more like Man, like every Friday, I'm just running through all the music that gets out. I listen to all the music and go through as much as I can and figure out like, how can I expose this music to the right person? Okay. How can, you know, not like. The new no name that just dropped. How yeah. Get them into- yeah. How do I get that? How do I, you know, the, the average listener is maybe not going to be feeling the new no name. Mm-hmm. The average listener might be more into the new like little Baby Gunna track. Mm-hmm. But how do I balance those two and those two types of hip hop listeners and uh-huh. and for the people that are into like super crazy sh- I don't know shout rap you oh, know yeah, yeah, yeah. thing like how how do you cross those and when when that crosses over to the mainstream how do you affect you know how do you balance all those things uh, well one thing well two things first of all I I have to admire you and give you props for being somebody Knowing your musical taste, knowing what you like music-wise, especially with hip-hop, yeah, totally being open and down for a little baby gunner, a Travis Scott, oh my going God. to Rolling Loud, like and like young bands to... all day. Yeah, did you get beat up by uh, Russ? I oh, no. I okay. Well, that's one thing I don't do actually. I don't really follow the social media drama the spectacle, spectacle yeah. as much as people do. I mean, I'm up on it, but you're where Cardi B got in a fight with Nicki. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Right. I'm up on it, Just but I'm not like. Ooh. fiending for the yeah. next Hitting moment. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I'm for me it's about the music, you uh-huh. know. And if it's good. And also also it's if it's popular, a lot of times for me it's not good. Uh-huh. I, a lot of times like my personal opinion of this music may be that it's not good, but understanding that somebody else likes it and how that somebody else thinks and what else they like is most important. So like if I know a Take fan might also be into YBN Namir I know that like that path is going to carry on versus like the guy who's into money bag. Yo is not really going to be into YBN Namir. You know, it's kind of like, or maybe he is, but this is you like, know, would you explain, you're explaining DJing. Yeah. It's DJing on the internet, but you're but you have, <laughs> on the interwebs. But you have health benefits and a yes. way better paycheck. Exactly. So I think yeah. it all, it's, 
You, you're a lucky it works, dude. It works. You're out. a lucky guy. You've basically yeah. been doing the same thing your whole life, but just at better pay scale. <laughs> you keep leveling scale. up more and more yeah. and more and more and more. Up. Mm-hmm. And so, snacks. Yeah, and snacks and and Lacroix and Fiji <laughs> yeah. water. Oh my god! Uh, you, you, can't, yeah. <laughs> you can't wait to get your kind bar tomorrow. It huh? is real. It is real in the valley for those international Silicon Valley. If you watch that, that is real. Oh, it's that like is it, real. It's like a slight exaggeration. Not even a slight exaggeration, Maybe bro. That shit is real. <laughs> Massage robot. Like, really? Yeah, yeah, sign me up. Yeah. Well, I was gonna ask one more question about the whole. Uh, you know, we're talking about streaming services. Uh-huh. How does the streaming service? How? What does that mean to an indie artist and to a major label artist? I think that it, it can be a valuable tool. So a lot uh, for both? something for both. Yeah, I think the one thing that a lot of people don't know is, you know, Spotify and Pandora and all these services have. When they first launched, I don't know if you guys remember that, but when they first launched, the whole pay scale and perception of these companies were that they were screwing musicians, specifically indie musicians, and not paying enough. And people were not letting their music on the services and withholding. And they were like, you know, there there were a lot of curmudgeons moving over into the streaming world because they didn't want to get a pay cut and they didn't want... They didn't understand, and the revolution hadn't happened. People, the people weren't there yet mm-hmm. for you know listening. So, my point is that at that time, the public perception of um, Spotify, their perception towards musicians and bands and indie artists was very bad. So, Spotify built all these tools for indie musicians to use their platform for marketing and and encouraged artists to use their platform. And Pandora is doing the same thing. We're creating ways to, you know, on Pandora, you can I can say Ayo is Jay Boogie, listen to my new song and blah 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 and have it um, reach all the listeners that have my station. Um, you know, throughout the U.S. and say I'm doing a date in Detroit and I can geo-target that and like, hey, check out my new song. Here I'm playing in whatever in Detroit. Check me out, buy tickets, click here. There's just all these marketing tools that um, all the services have built in um, to help indie musicians and give the um, marketing tools into your hands. So Mm -hmm. if you're an artist and you are smart about it and a DIY artist, you know how to use Pandora to your benefit and you know how to use Spotify to your benefit. Um, Apple sort of kind of, they they had the whole connect mm-hmm. uh, thing happening, but all these services are building artist marketing tools built in because they want artists using it. They want it's Diplo. Yeah, yeah, they want Diplo going on you know, Spotify and talking about it. They want, I want Gunna to come on and say, hey yo, is Gunna, I'm listening to the sauce on Pandora. Check me out. And I do that. That's what we do. We do artist marketing partnerships and work with people to to bring them in and work with it because the artists really are the ones that give the service and the music the clout, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, a regular paid spokesman telling you about how awesome Spotify exactly, is. Pandora yeah. is, is fine, but and if I have that, yeah. Dram or Goldlink say yeah. check, yeah, then it's like okay. And the analytics too on Pandora, I can look up and see what song what Jay Boogie's Dubtronic Science song does the best in what region, by what demo, on what device. Mm-hmm. Like I can go in and look, you know, hey, I have uh, 48% females in Los Angeles or on Android an iPhone users. that love the song Try Me with Guaple or whatever. Yeah. And 
that's crazy to me. And they've, they've built all these tools for the independent musician because they wanted to not have that kind of big, rich stealing from the musician perception that I think a lot of people had when the streaming services first launched. And if, you know, if you knew that Spotify was ripping people off, you probably wouldn't use them as a user, right? Mm -hmm. If you knew that Pandora didn't pay musicians, you're not going to support them and be a product user. So I think they really built those tools to support indie musicians. Mm -hmm. So with hearing all this, do you think there's going to be, because now like even my questioning, I phrase it as indie major. Do you think this could be a birth of like a third tier of an artist now? Or is that, I think I kind of feel like they're already slightly emerging with, uh, everyone says yeah. like Chance the Rapper is like the big, yeah. you know, token of that. But uh, will it be now more normal thing, a third style of artist, like a middle indie or whatever? emerging trend setting everybody wants it. there's so many different words for it for sure you know uh -huh. people say viral and yeah. i mean it's for me it's really all about time and consistency like you we were talking about before you can make a disposal you can be hot one minute but if you only have one song and you can't come back with it you have no longevity as an artist mm -hmm. so consistency is key um let's go back and we were talking about Gunna. Gunna is like a guest on everybody's record. Yeah. He just keeps putting out music. Um, NBA Youngboy, Youngboy Never Broke Again, mm -hmm. just putting out music relentlessly. Uh -huh. Even Chief Keef, just like, just consistency is key because you're just kind of feeding your listeners in the content. You, If you just come out and do a hot song, even if you're number one on every station, every whatever, if you can't, Follow that up. Yeah. You're a one-hit wonder. You're a one-hit wonder. And is we all not, know what that is. It's like a, not, a new, yeah. not a new thing at all. It's something that's yeah. been around forever. So The Millies and the Vanillies. <laughs> I think they really, the Millie Rock. The, 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 the Millie Rock. Rock. Yeah. They did their one thing. Uh, and I don't know. I, I, you would know maybe a little more than I Yeah, do. some more music. Yeah. yeah. Playboy's got some more more in them. But yeah. Uh -huh. So yeah, no, I'm just oh not Playboy Card, the guy actually uh, the guys that did this. Oh yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah. yeah Sorry, I had that hook in my head. Of course, yeah, it's, it's like his hit, like it's, it's his big signature hit. Yeah. So I so also I was gonna say about you being so open to DJ styles. Are you not like doing more like uh, hip hop sets like this type of style? Like, you know, I definitely try to work some stuff into my sets more, but DJing for me is always about like reading the room mm -hmm. and for the people that are there. Like we were saying, the art of moving butts. Like you need to know who your audience is, know who you are, and connect what you have with the audience, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why I'll, I'll never be one of those DJs that's just like in my laptop, not paying attention, doing what I do, playing what I want to play for the crowd. You mm -hmm. know, there. I think some DJs excel at being able to do that and build an amazing career creating a brand and a personality for themselves that people flock to. But for me, I've always been like, just make these people happy, make them dance and have a good time. Mm -hmm. Whether it's playing, you know, trap or dance hall or Latin music or remixes mm -hmm. or little funk and what I like and some disco and some house and, mm -hmm. oh, this isn't working. Let's go over here kind of thing. And that's, and that's you. I feel that's you in a nutshell. Yeah, like man. A little like, trap meets dance yeah. hall meets house meets yes. sitar. The sitar yeah, feedback sitar. meets, you know, gatekeeping on yes. hip hop. Yes. There you go, everybody. Yeah. Mix it up. Anything else you want to add to this, uh, tie this little interview, interview to Um, You know, I just want to say that if, if there's aspiring DJs um, listening to just it's it's really about the music and it's about the 
the quality of the music and kind of the longevity and consistency that we were talking about. Like be mm-hmm. true to yourself. It's corny. It sounds mad corny. Be true to yourself. But, but like find something that you believe in. I feel like the people that I've seen over time, artists and DJs that are successful, find their lane, define who they are and, and what they do, and they stick to it. They don't jump around and like, oh, the hot new thing is this style of music. Like you can incorporate that into what you do, but if you flip on a dime and just are chasing after the next kind of big thing, then you're kind of an empty shell of a wannabe DJ thing. That's mean. <laughs> That's mean. But you know what I'm saying? Like um, be original and be yourself and stick to that. I think the coolest thing about the move from vinyl to Serato is that it democratized DJing. Mm-hmm. And everybody's a DJ. Mm-hmm. My mom's a DJ. Really? Your mom's a DJ. Yeah. They're getting They're tonight. Battle. Like, yeah. <laughs> come to my DJ show. You know, all, like all that. Everybody's a DJ. And all the vets and all the OGs are like, these two guys. You're giving people the key to creativity. Like, that's really cool. And then it happened with producing, where Ableton really democratized production and SoundCloud. The combination of the two really made like, all of a sudden, everybody was a producer. Uh-huh. You know, it was like before you were a DJ, but oh, well, I'm a producer too. I'm putting out music. Cool. I got the extra thing. And then, and then now being a producer is like, yeah, my cousin's my, my nephew made that remix in his bathroom. You know, like it's like a joke. Like, yeah, like man. Fuck yeah. Boy starter pack. So yeah, SoundCloud. totally, man. <laughs> so, and again, all the producers that have been doing it, hold oh, old SoundCloud days, typewriter. We used to download those for free. We didn't even have to do Tone Den, you know. <laughs> artist union, or artist union. No, we didn't even have to do a follow for a download. We didn't have emails back from in the days. We just clicked the arrow. <laughs> um, but you know, it's like those two movements have been democratized and yeah, the quality level has gone down, Mm -hmm. but you gave the key of creativity. So I don't know, like what's the next thing people doing visuals and light shows. Actually my boy Odeon from Peligrosa is like this super guy who's like, DJ, producer, light guy, visuals. I do 3d things. I made the flyers flyers, and security and yeah, all in one or originals. This is the thing I, I think that, and there are, already DJs like this where you don't put your music out and you don't put your music online for SoundCloud and the only way you can hear the J Boogie edits Mm -hmm. is coming to see J Boogie live. So, I mean, Danny Crivet was kind of like that and like there was some, even Moody Man and like all these guys that were playing like their own bootleg remix unique material that you could only hear if you went and saw him DJ like that could be the next level of being the original DJ. Like don't put your music out for free. Don't give it to everybody because they're just going to play it. Basics getting his remixes jacked and put on like DJ pools. Like uh-huh. keep your remixes for yourself and define your sound. And, you know, maybe you put them on YouTube or something. But if you want people to see you for you, do it live and that's it. You know what I'm saying? God I don't damn. know. You just dropped some game, bro. Did I? I, I don't know. I'm just making it up. That's the mate talking. I might, I, <laughs> <laughs> that might be that might be my new thing. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna take out my bank. I think uh, that, I don't know. That's we'll the see. only we'll thing, only way because everybody's file sharing and you know it's like that. The Serato explosion also made everybody had the same tracks. 
Yeah. Well, I think I think what you're saying is like either got to be the guy doing lights and the graphics and the mm-hmm. DJing and five things, or the guy goes or the producer, or yeah. just yeah, or yeah, just yeah. you yeah. can hear my friend squad K edit at Deep Space. Yeah. If you didn't go, no phone. Exactly. Oh, and no phones allowed, by the yeah, way. Yeah, no phones. Invite allowed, only. No shazamming. Shazam fail. Yeah. Well, that's always the worst. Yeah. <laughs> worldwide, every time worldwide. I'm listening to worldwide, like shazamming with my kids like in the background (laughs) (laughs) right on that note i think we should maybe bring you back to the house to your kids and yes uh, get a little sleep before you start your day keep being hip-hop at pandora yeah back to being the dad dj that's dj dad also it's so funny do you think these artists that come and meet you to like it's all like you know like oh this guy could basically create my career and and little you know you're like thinking i need to Go home by six thirty. Like like, <laughs> if I, I don't, get, if I don't get home by this time, I'm screwed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the interesting thing is balancing, you know, yeah, the creativity, family life, and a professional career has been the biggest challenge for me um, in the twenty five odd whatever years. Twenty five. Yeah. I mean, I started DJing in ninety one, uh-huh. and twenty eighteen has been my most difficult year for sure uh-huh. by far just to be able to juggle yeah being being you know family career and music and creativity and yet yourself. you still find time to come to opening set and do it hey yeah. it's for you you brought the fiji <laughs> right on thank you jay boogie yeah, thank you my brother thank you so much for your time hey, hey. and we'll uh, always chat up some more in the studio oh, and yeah. ask about what's next and what's not and i need the remix pack i'm not i'm not giving I'm you one into you, vinyl. Did, you just told me not to do one so it to vinyl. you told me not to do one so right off it once again i'll pay your band camp uh, we'll see once again jay boogie everybody thank you my man thank Ooh. you thank you <laughs> How long do we do we really talk for that long? Uh, How long do we talk? Like, we'll t- we'll t- wow, dude! Yeah. I was like, are we really gonna be?